Today on TechNado, we'll be talking with Tanya Janka about her new startup. We're also going to look at a Mac keyboard that makes Justin very, very happy. And we're going to have an update on the two Iowa pen testers that were arrested. That's all coming up on TechNado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, joined, as always, by Don Bazette. Don, how are you? Hey, I'm doing swell. Just uh, excited for our interview today. Yeah, me too. And Justin Dennison, how are you? I am doing well as well. Well as well. And also excited for the interview. Well, that makes three of us. Because I am doing well. (laughs) And excited for our interview. And excited for a little holday this week. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's coming up. Turkey and stuff for... And napping. You know, we should do a whole podcast episode on, on just things that we're thankful for. But no, Probably no, not we though. are not doing <laughs> that. We are not doing that, Don. And happy, uh, so happy Thanksgiving to everyone in the U.S. this week. But our guest uh, today is Tanya Janka, who is Canadian. Oh. So do they... Do, do they? they celebrate? That will be the first question we ask. Do they celebrate displacing an indigenous people? Yeah, yeah. And celebrate and again every year. They celebrate. And Columbus Day, what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. We'll get into all this. We'll get topics. into some tech here and shortly. Pro- we'll probably talk tech too, uh, because she uh, not only uh, is a cloud evangelist at Microsoft, but she's also got uh, a new thing going on that we're going to talk all about. So uh, we will get to that in just a bit. But first, to the news. Our first story is from Endgadget, and I have to scroll way down because I've got a huge uh, Verizon ad taking up the whole page. (laughs) Uh, Iran shuts down nearly all internet access in response to fuel protests. It's trying to reduce dissent by silencing communication. So when I originally saw this headline, I was like, oh, it's like you're punished now. Well, you can't have nice things. We're taking that away. But it's actually too because people are using the internet as a tool for the protest to organize and and get together. So it's not just a punishment, but it's also a punishment. Yeah, you know, like one way to silence dissent is to put tape over people's mouths. Mm -hmm. And uh, in a way, that's what they're doing. Uh, But not not like actually stopping the protest. They use bullets for that. But uh, what they're doing here (laughs) is trying to stop those protests from forming. And we've seen this time and time again, not just from Iran, but I know Syria has done it. uh, Turkey has done it. uh, Venezuela has done it. there are other countries like China and Russia that are set up to be able to do it where they can just turn off the internet at a moment's notice. And now, how did people protest before the internet? Carrier pigeons. Flyer? Carrier pigeons? Yeah. Except door aren't door? they extinct? I think they are. Yeah, I think they're all you, gone. Is that when you had to go door to door with pitchforks? No, that's, uh, that's a that's mob. Vampires. That's, that's a mob. Okay, that's Transylvania. Yeah. Well, this is kind of a flash mob, right? Kind of, yeah. So they, they could. Use, <laughs> we're not protesting. We're a flash mob. Yeah. So if they if they come out there with their picket signs, but the moment the police show up, they do a, a synchronized dance. Yeah. They do thriller. Then I don't know something. if they have any right to like make them leave. Right. Yeah. At that point, it's just it's I, you're I, being happy. I think you're thinking American laws. Yeah, oh, the real laws there's a your problem. I'm, I'm actually kind of confused. This 50 percent hike in fuel price. What what's the background on that? Like oh. So uh, they own the fuel. You might not have noticed, but there's a little bit of a kerfuffle between the United States and Iran, and uh, uh, so we're, we're not buddies right now. Yeah. And as a result, right now, uh, there, yeah, well, <laughs> there was that nuclear deal a yeah. couple of years ago with, uh, that was put in uh, with President Obama's term, uh, and so that was a, a big boon for Iran. Like a lot of sanctions were lifted, and they started seeing an increase in. Uh, foreign investment. I want to say revenue, but yeah, just money, right? Uh, Well, when the U.S. left that deal uh, under President Trump, 
then all of a sudden things weren't going so well for Iran. They started enriching uh, uranium again or plutonium. I mix those two up. Uh, plutonium was I mean, back they're to the both future. very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah heavy so, elements and yeah. So when they started enriching, you know, something or another, I'm pretty sure it's uranium, uh, that got all the sanctions turned back on. And so now they're getting hit pretty hard. So the government needs to raise some money. And they decided the way to raise the money to not impact poor people would be to increase the cost of gas by 50%. Mm. If you think about it, uh, the truly poor don't have cars. So a gas hike is not going to affect them. So they, they looked at it as a way to basically get a little bit of extra money from the middle class and upper class that do have cars uh, to be able to fund the government. And uh, people aren't too happy about it. And so, so they should it. shut down the internet, but then charge for people that want to use it. Charge per gigabyte? Like, yeah. Like a whole uh, system? For some reason, I went, you mean like satellite internet? Yeah. Yeah. Like like America's trying to do. <laughs> Except that actually is for people who tend to live in rural areas and are also poor. I don't know. Or anyway, they, I think that's a different commentary. They, yeah, they could try democracy too. It's uh, There's a lot of options that they could go with, but uh, what's happening right now are nationwide blackouts. So, um, yeah. You yeah. know, so if you're used to using products like Twitter or Facebook to organize a group to go and protest, losing access to that is going to make you move to plan B, which is, I don't know, email or something. <laughs> Doesn't that go over the internet? Facts. It is uranium. Uh, uranium uh, enrichment, yeah. I, I thought it was uranium two thirty eight, which it looks to be two thirty five, right? Uh, two thirty five is what causes chain reactions. Oh. Uh, two thirty eight does not, based on this highly. Now this podcast can't be played in North Korea or Iran. <laughs> great guys. I'm listening to a great book about uh, the uh, sabotage of a heavy water plant in uh, Norway during World War Two. Mm. So I've, I've learned those. Do you numbers. know what heavy water is? I do. It's water with an extra. Uh, Oxygen? Hydrogen? Is that like that health water that uh, Madonna was pushing a few years ago? I think ago? so. So yeah. the nucleus is heavier, heavier <laughs> yeah. because it's an isotope of hydrogen. It's got an extra... That's, okay. Yeah. So it has... I think it uses either deuterium or tritium, which is um, a proton and a neutron, or a proton and two neutrons, if I'm not mistaken, inside the water. The more you know. But yeah. All right, right, let's head over to our next article now before we uh, get totally off the rails. Uh, This one is from iFixit, which is, I think, the place, uh, the kiosk in the mall where I I take my phone uh, when I drop it in the toilet. Um, (laughs) All right, so uh, the new MacBook Pro keyboard is a throwback in the best way. And so uh, we're talking about the keyboard on the new... The new Magic Keyboard in the 16-inch MacBook Pro. But does it have the touch bar yes oh thank god yeah <laughs> shut Justin's up Peter. I, I was I'm, I'm all right so if i have to keep the touch bar i do want a better keyboard than the one where i'm like hey my j key randomly quit working today oh it's back there's a piece of dust under my yeah key. i can't I'm, I'm glad i had that 90 psi air compressor on hand mm. i wouldn't mind the touch bar so much if there was a physical escape key mm-hmm. the, actually that's my biggest issue yeah and that's true now, right? Don't isn't there a physical escape key? Is there? I I was throwing that out as a genuine want. I didn't. Uh, I have no idea. Well, so what do they mean? Uh, first of all, here in the in the throwback, we're basically going back to the oh, yeah. mechanism physically that yeah. It used so to the, be. Yeah. Uh, so the the butterfly keyboard that they have been on with these newer MacBooks totally sucks. I think uh, most people acknowledge that. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm playing their little video here, trying to see if it has a physical escape key, but. Uh, 
the keyboard stinks. And so in the newest MacBook, they are going to be a more traditional keyboard. And they haven't said, they haven't come out and said, oh, yeah, we're going back to the old one. But the iFixit team did a teardown, and they found where you could actually take spare parts from the old MacBook and use them to repair the new MacBook. So it is effectively the same set of keys. And, uh, and so that means that Apple has finally acknowledged that their previous great idea was not so great. Uh, the keyboard is just too fragile, you know? Um, you know what, Justin? Look at that. I don't know if we can bring my screen up. It's kind of hard to see. Can I zoom in? There is Ooh, a, physical there's a physical escape. Yeah, so that key. might oh be gosh. redeeming, and it has key travel. Uh, all right, this the thing sitting in front of me is yeah. absolute garbage now. <laughs> they, they shortened the touchpad, it looked like, yeah, and moved so, the escape key. Up so there. it's hard to see, but my escape key is context-specific, and it's part of the touch bar. So yeah. they've shortened that. Boom. So... It, this is the the current touch bar is a the same as an iPad, right? It's the same thing kind same of running guts, it. Yeah. So now they're just using an iPad Mini. Maybe <laughs> micro, Max. My, my iPad yeah. micro. So I, I seriously doubt they've changed the touch bar hardware in any way, other than making it a little bit shorter. But I had no idea it had a physical escape key. That is a great idea. How many people must have cried out? And it's all developers too, which are pretty verbal. All it is is a key that sits on top of the. Uh, it's still a touch bar underneath there, and the, the escape. Key just pushes that. <laughs> I, I, I swear, it, it's like those weird, like jelly keyboards you put great? on a touch screen oh, to make man. it seem like you have a an actual fantastic. keyboard. Garbage. I wouldn't put that past Apple. That, that <laughs> oh, man. In fact, like, it might just be under the whole keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> and underneath it is the butterfly keyboard. <laughs> it's, it's just pushing that. And it's all lightning ports now. It's yeah. all uh, they've gotten rid of. Oh, no, actually, there's no ports. No ports at all. Yeah. Yeah. No ports yeah. at all. Airtight. It's it, all psychokinesis. It's a, when the battery's done, you just throw it out. Yeah, it's disposable. Yeah. Well, uh, I going into this article, I did not realize that they brought the escape key back. That makes me happy. Uh, but they are going back to the old keyboard. So if you have been protesting the current generation of keyboards on Mac, know that the tyranny is soon to end. I think in editing, we should move that to the, the first article, then knowing <laughs> the headline. headline. Yeah. Screw Iran. It's all about keyboards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Freedom. Human, human suffering. Yeah. <laughs> you want to talk about human suffering? Look at this guy over here, Justin, yeah, dealing mean, with an escape listen, key. Listen, i got to have some good things in my life, and yeah. this keyboard's not one of them. First world yeah. problems. All right, uh, let's head over now to TheVerge.com for our next article. Google's silent Chrome experiment crashes thousands of browsers and angers IT admins. Blank white screens in Chrome left many IT admins and users confused. All right, so what are we talking about with the silent Chrome experiment? Uh, Something right, that was so, not released to the public? You know, Chrome OS is tightly controlled by Google. It is a, truly a closed-source product, although you do have Chromium OS with the open-source pieces. Uh, and basically, when you buy a Chromebook, you don't worry about the underlying OS. It just runs the Chrome browser, and that's all you see. So it silently takes updates all the time. And for a regular end user, we're just used to that experience. It's fairly normal. But in an enterprise where you might have thousands or tens of thousands of Chromebooks, you actually do have a little bit of control over those updates or at least aware of something happening. Well, in this case, Google decided to make a change. And the change was a simple one. They basically said that if you have uh, a lot of Chrome tabs open, it could put certain tabs to sleep, right? Uh, just before this show, unrelated, uh, the fans in my laptop were running like crazy, which turned out to be some rogue Chrome tabs that were consuming a ton of CPU. So Google knows that uh, that Chrome does that, and so they're working on putting those tabs to sleep. They've been testing it in beta for a few months, and they decided to roll the feature out in, to a, a larger deployment base uh, without telling anybody. Uh, so that new feature rolled out silently across tons of machines. Now, for most people, it worked fine. You didn't notice, and you actually got a little bit better battery life and performance. But for some enterprises, 
they all of a sudden had thousands of Chromebooks that would start displaying blank tabs. A tab would go to sleep, and depending on what was in it, especially if there were like HTML5 applications that were running inside of it, they might crash, and you end up with a white screen. There were some Citrix instances that had that problem and a few others uh, that The Verge goes into. But but basically, the, the big crux of the matter is that Google was able to roll out a change that affected tons of, of company machines. And when end users had the problem, they called the company's help desk, and the company's help desk had no idea. So they kind of looked, uh, looked bad for them. Uh, and then when it got escalated up to higher IT support, they didn't have any idea. And it was only later that Google came out. It was like, like two days later, really, that Google came out and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we pushed an update for that. We'll, we'll roll it back. And so then they silently rolled it back across all of those machines. And it just highlights how much control Google actually has over those devices. I'm, I'm absolutely astounded that Google does something without telling us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't seem like them. Yeah. No. <laughs> they, they are paramount in transparency. This is out of character. Coming with inf- information. Well, I'm sure that person will be uh, found and swiftly promoted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the company. yeah so yeah uh, although you know going back to our our iranian example uh, you know where the government shut off the internet for them think about the things that could happen here in the u.s that the tech companies do have control over all the devices we use so you know microsoft can shut down your windows machine google can shut down your chrome and android stuff apple can shut down your iphone uh we've, we've kind of already given that control to these organizations all right this uplifting message was brought to you by it pro tv <laughs> Thank you very much, Don, for that. Um, Happy holidays again, everyone. Uh, Now let's head over to CNBC.com for our next article. Uh, Speaking of Google, Supreme Court will hear Google's appeal in massive copyright suit brought by Oracle. Uh, So this is something that's been working its way through the courts uh, for a little bit, but uh, now it's uh, it's heading to the highest court in the land. Do, Do either of you remember when this started? It's been a long time. I thought it was settled. 2010. Uh, it says 2010. Oracle sued Google in 2010, alleging the use of its code in Android violated copyright law. So uh, most people should be familiar with this case. It's been going on for nine years now. Uh, but basically, when Google launched Android, remember, Google didn't create Android. They acquired it. That was a, a separate company. They bought it. Uh, but basically, Android relies on Java for its apps. Most Android apps are just Java apps that are running on top of it. But they didn't want to pay licensing for Java Enterprise or whatever, which Oracle owned through their acquisition of Sun. So they created their own Java runtime environment called Dalvik. And they basically emulated the Java APIs that Oracle published so that applications could be written in Java and run on the Dalvik uh, engine or Dalvik virtual machine. Dalvik virtual machine. Yep. There we go. Uh, so we could run on top of that and and work, and they didn't have to pay licensing to Oracle. Oracle said, "Well, uh, you know, jokes on you. It doesn't matter whether you uh, actually used our runtime or not. You're using our API, and that's our intellectual property." Google disagreed. They went to court. Uh, it has been uh, ruled on more than once where. Uh, one time a court and a jury will side with Google and then they appeal and then the court and jury will side with Oracle and then they appeal. And then, you know, so it's gone back and forth. Uh, and it's been this big unknown area that a lot of companies are really worried about, uh, because if an API is considered intellectual property, that opens up a whole new level of complexity for licensing technology. It makes it a nightmare. Uh, so now the Supreme Court has actually agreed to take up this case and there is no appealing the Supreme Court. If, if a decision gets made here, that's a standing decision that can only be overturned by Congress at that point, which 
I guess I could put a negative spin on this because but, Google but and Oracle have a Congress in their pocket. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> well mm, I was excited there for a minute, and then Don crushed Don, all Don is in a mood out of today. <laughs> I know. But that that leads to that sets precedence for all further cases and how Absolutely. they're looked upon, right? Yeah. So Microsoft, Facebook, all the other big tech companies really have their eyes on this case. Um, is this is this Oracle clambering just? To, continue to try to make money because they just recently lost that contract and they're whining and moaning about it. And they that, lost right? that appeal too. They lost uh, Oh yeah, they did. Gates on that. All right, let me I'm going to flip sides here and uh, and try and paint this in a positive picture. Imagine that you created something, right? It was your baby. It was this idea that's Java that could run everywhere and run applications and you could bolster a whole new era of development. And then all of a sudden another company comes along and makes billions of dollars off of it and doesn't give you a dime. This is your uplifting well, part? So from Oracle's perspective, though, <laughs> But Oracle didn't create wrong. it, did they? Well, it's, so Oracle's a bunch of jerks. Like, I, I, I don't, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, hold up, it was but, Sun, right? But I can see where they're coming from. So, well, even from that aspect, right? They, they bought Sun for what, like $7 billion? So Google could have bought Sun. Uh, but instead, Google chose to try and circumvent the system and not pay. I can understand both sides of the argument. Like I get what you're saying, but I don't know. Like the fact that I had to uninstall Java because I had to agree to a five dollar <laughs> service charge from Oracle. There's a security exploit every other day. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, ah, I feel like you're just nickel and diamond me now. So the latest uh, decision that they made. Uh, Google won the first two victories, but then they lost on appeal before the U.S. Court of Appeals. So right now, uh, things are in Oracle's favor mm -hmm. as we go to the final uh, uh, deciding vote here from the Supreme Court. And I thought it was interesting that, like you said, other tech companies, Microsoft wrote a friend of the court brief um, uh, saying that letting the lower court's opinion stand threatens disastrous consequences for innovation. Uh, Firefox, uh, or Miz uh, Mozilla, Etsy, and Medium also wrote that the decision could completely restructure the way in which software production, competition, and innovation occur, especially on the internet. So uh, th they're saying that this does have pretty big consequences. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. I mean, you know, they're seeking $9 billion in damages. This is, is pretty big. It's not like that Facebook penalty from the EU the other month where Facebook will laugh at a Way. Like even for Google, nine billion dollars is a lot of money. By yeah. the way, they no longer use the Dalvik virtual machine in Android. They replaced it with Android Runtime, which is probably still Java, but uh, Dalvik. But I think part of their moving from Dalvik was because of some of this. of this. Yeah. Well, the the key thing to remember too, in keeping with the theme um, for this episode, Don, is that uh, we're all going to die, so it really doesn't doesn't matter anyway. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I was I was getting all down and out about that Oracle, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm only here for a limited yeah. time, so who cares? Yeah, exactly. That's for <laughs> I our, have an expiration That's date. for our grandkids to worry about, yep, run yep. times. Uh, all right, now let's head over to ZDNet.com for uh, what should uplift all of us. So Disney Plus, it's out now. Uh, we've been talking about this for months. And, oh, wait, oh, thousands of hacked Disney Plus accounts are already for sale on hacking forums. Hi wah, wah. Hackers began hijacking accounts hours after after Disney Plus launched earlier this week. So my question is, are they, uh, are, are they, were there, what, what's it called when they try to use a uh, username and password combinations that they already know password exist? Password reuse. Yeah, so is that is that what's going on here? Yeah, most likely. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to be sure uh, exactly where this is happening, but apparently, uh, and I'm, I am not, I haven't signed up for Disney Plus, although I probably will. It's, I just did. I did the, really cheap. the bundle with... Uh, 
Hulu and uh, ESPN Plus because I wanted to get Hulu, and I know my daughter wanted Disney Plus. So yeah, uh, well, uh, I'm a Verizon customer. I get it for free for a year. Huh. I'm yeah, a Verizon There's customer. There. Yeah, do you have an unlimited plan? I do. You should get Disney Plus for free. Well, you can't do the Hulu bundle dun, dun, dun. though. Oh, well, so I don't yeah. know how that works. Anyway, it's like well, a dollar. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> so something that they do that like Netflix doesn't do is you can buy you you like prepay for two even three years, right? So people are signing up for this service in droves because Disney owns everything, uh, and and it's inexpensive. So again, people are really signing up for it, uh, and they're doing these three year terms. But these are just average people, right? Average people that reuse passwords. So hackers were able to automate testing passwords to identify hits on accounts. And when they got an account, they knew that it would be an account valid for two or three years. So they immediately started selling them on the dark web. Uh, And so you can go and for two or three euros, you can buy one of these accounts. And now you've got access to Disney+. And in many cases, people are changing the email address and the password. There's a lot of blame going to Disney on this one. But really, it's the end user's fault. But... On Disney's side, there's a few things they could have done to help with this. You know, on on one side, uh, the hackers had to have some way to test these passwords to find out if they were valid, right? So Disney should have been able to see that, the, you know, thousands of login attempts with different passwords or, or whatever. Like, they should have been able to detect that and stop it. Uh, but the other thing is their support desk was not set up to handle this. If your account got hacked the attacker already had your password. They would log in, they would change the email address, they would change the password. And so now you can't do a password reset. If you call up and they say, what's your email address? You can't even validate your email address. So the support desk was not prepared to be able to handle it, which led to a bad experience for a lot of people. I think this is going to be a typical story for any new high visibility service that launches, just because so many people do reuse their passwords. Oops. You're supposed to use different ones. You're supposed to use different ones now, and 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 I'm not saying spring 2019 and spring 2020 count as different ones. Just so we're clear, look, it's got to be something I can type in with my my Samsung remote on the TV at home. That's it's. I'm not, I mean, but you could still use lowercase letters and just make it long. No, but I guess if I put all the special characters at the beginning and then all the, uh, you know. Letters the after old, that. Uh, keyboard when you had the nine phone buttons. When you had to text like that, yeah, or something like that. It had a name. I can't oh, remember. I remember but it's got to yeah. be a password you can do on your Nokia. Yeah, because you know, texting like that. Phone. I mean, kids these days don't don't realize. I mean, LOL is written like that for a reason because. It would take an hour to write laughing out loud. I, I, I tell you, I remember I would watch people who are really good at that. And it would astound me. They would type like novels. It was but like it would stenographers be, in court. Yeah, but they would be like seven, 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 seven to get an S. Right? Yeah. You had to hit seven <laughs> four times to get an S. And I was like, "That's I, uh, I'll just write a note. Have you ever watched a the court stenographer? They're just like slapping away. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, there's no way that any of that. Oh, and then they read it back. and Yeah, that's it's amazing. Art. Amazing. Well, anyway, um, yeah, so mine hasn't been hacked yet, but uh, I did enjoy the new um, Anna Kendrick, uh, Bill Hader Christmas movie with my daughter last night. So um, Disney Plus, all right for the win. I haven't uh, haven't heard of this. Most people are talking about the Mandalorian, which uh, well, I've not sure. seen. Have you guys? Uh, I have not yet. I have not either. Wow, we're terrible. We're sp- aren't we supposed to be like tech nerds or Can something? I, yeah, but there's only so much time in the week. Can I lose all my street cred right now? Uh, you haven't already. Okay, oh, perfect. I, I haven't seen any of the prequels. Oh, that doesn't you're, count. You're probably better off for that, right? Yeah, that's you what that's what the I hear. Original trilogy, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 to, I mean, I saw some I of those in the theaters. All the prequels in 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 their entirety, because I'm like, ah, I'm 
I'm so tired. I just <laughs> gotta turn this off. I uh, I saw Empire Strikes Back in the theater. I didn't see. I didn't see the first one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, New Hope or whatever. But uh, but Jar Jar Binks is in all of the Disney Plus. Oh yeah. Yeah, he was in that uh, Christmas he, movie. He's my favorite. Yeah. Oh, when they celebrate Life Day and go find Chewbacca's yeah. kid. Exactly. And they sing. <laughs> they all sing. I have no idea what's going on. It's but a Christmas a, special. Even I knew that. T nine. Um, was oh, it is a, called T9. A, a technology. There were a couple of other competing technologies depending on the layout of the keys. Oh, that was Arnold um, Schwarzenegger's character in uh, in Dark Fate, Judgment in the Day. prequel. Yeah, yeah, just T9. T9. Yeah, it's T9. one of the early models. Very early models. <laughs> He's like, He's more oil. Texas Instruments. <laughs> it was the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go now to ArsTechnica.com. Uh, breach affecting one million was caught only after hacker maxed out Target's storage. Uh, Hacker's data archive file grew so big that the Target's hard drive ran out of space. So basically this thing, they would not have even been detected had they gone, hey, why why is the hard drive full? What's going on here? Uh, In this case, the company was called Infotrax, and they stored a ton of data on their customers, including uh, name, email address, social security number, uh, as well as other payment information, passwords in plain text. My favorite was, almost all of this is in plain text. (laughs) (laughs) So an attacker breached the server back in March of 2017. Uh, and they proceeded to access the server multiple times over 21 months. For almost two years, the attacker was in the system and uh, went undetected. In fact, it, it stayed undetected until one day they got an alert that the hard drive on the server was out of space. And when they went to look, they found out that it had been breached. Uh, and during that time, the attacker pulled everything, right? All the information on their customers, about 1 million consumers' data was compromised uh, and leaked out. They still have no idea who the attacker was, uh, but just tons of data on payment cards and so on. It was It's a pretty bad breach. So I'm confused, though. So th- they filled up the, the the place they hacked. They filled up their hard drive. Mm-hmm. What what was the data they were putting on that hard drive? So, uh, you know, what will happen in a lot of these attacks is once they get in, they start pilfering the server. Now, the server mm-hmm. already has data, so that doesn't take any space, right? Uh, now... Usually it's one of two things. Either one, they try and build an archive. So they take like the database files and they try and compress them. Well, if the hard drive is near full, when you start making a compressed archive, it then fills up the hard drive the rest of the way and you run out of space. That might be what happened. An attacker is usually smart enough to catch that, right? Uh, The other thing, though, is when somebody compromises a server, a lot of times they'll start a packet capture utility to capture network traffic. And if they leave it running by accident, it'll just sit there and fill up the hard drive, capturing all the traffic. Now, they didn't say which one this was. And it actually, it says in your, it does mention archiving at one point in the article, but they don't actually present any evidence that that's the case. So it could be either one, but either of those would lead to the hard drive getting filled up. Uh, again, attackers, they're usually trying to stay undetected. Mm-hmm. But honestly, by this point, the guy's been in there two years. He's probably already gotten everything he wants. He, I yeah. didn't even care. He's like, I am so bored. I wish someone would find this. Yeah. Uh, funny, if you go to the reader comments, there there was one person. Good to see them getting the same penalties as Equifax. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, because actually the FTC said you cannot collect, sales, share, store personal information whatsoever, and you have to undergo security assessments. Well, all right. So uh, I would say they got a slap on the wrist on this one, too, because it doesn't look like there's any financial penalties been attached to them. Did you see one? Uh, no, I could not find anyone. So the, the the verbiage of this is that, yeah, they, they are no longer allowed to process customer data. 
unless they put systems in place to secure the data like they should have done in the first place, which honestly takes about 30 minutes. So in 30 minutes, they can be compliant and processing consumer data again. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they go through and list it um, somewhere in here. Uh, they need to take inventory of the data that they maintain, and they need to delete personal data that's no longer needed. They need to conduct code reviews of the software. They need to detect malicious file uploads, uh, segment their network, and implement security safeguards to detect suspicious activity. This is, all right, I say 30 minutes if they've got the staff. If they don't have the staff, they got to find people. So, you know, say a week, right? This and, is just some guy in like a warehouse, Don. <laughs> He's like, oh, man, this is going to take me so long. So if that's the case, though, they can be back to processing this data again in, in short order, and it's it's really not that big of a deal. They do have to undergo a independent audit every two years. Uh, and I didn't see an end for that, but honestly, you should be doing audits like every six months. Every two years is really not a penalty. In my yeah, because guess what? This would have happened between those two-year audits, even if they were doing that, right? That's true. Yeah. Hmm. Whoops. So it is a bit of a slap on the I was trying to find, figure out what they actually do. You know, that's the hard part, because uh, they're not one that deals, they don't actually deal with the customer, as far as I can tell. They, they're they like a, a like a market information reseller or something mm -hmm. like that for, I don't know. It's kind Just probably already somewhat shady, you know, like, hey, I can give you leads. Yeah. Here's I, this massive mailing list of a million users. They've all opted in. Sure. And here are their social security numbers. And by <laughs> opted in, I mean, I found them. On the dark web. Yeah. Yeah, it says it says on uh, here, MLM software. Multi-level marketing. That's what, that's what I'm oh. taking away from that. All right. Uh, so do I have to buy a supplement so. from them? I think so, but you have to, you have to get 10 of your friends to also yeah. buy said supplement. So. Tahitian Nani juice. Hey, real quick. Yeah. <laughs> How is multi-level marketing different than a pyramid scheme? I believe it's, it's a synonym. Ah. So in my understanding is that in a pyramid scheme, there is at least the image that each level could potentially make money if there's another level beneath it. But in multi-level marketing, there's really just two levels, the level that makes money and then everybody else. So <laughs> The level that makes money is two people. As long yeah. as you get someone under you. <laughs> but the, there's not really an opportunity for that in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's all well, bad. I'm sure I'm sure uh, these folks are, are on their way to jail now, so we'll be reporting on that soon. Yeah, I know. Uh, and speaking of follow-ups and, and jail, uh, <laughs> let's head over. Well, we're still on Ars Technica, so let's stay at ArsTechnica.com and do a follow-up of a story we talked about a while back. Uh, how a turf war and a botched contract landed two pen testers in Iowa jail. Despite no evidence of criminal intent, coal fire employees face charges of criminal trespass. So we talked a while ago about uh, a couple of pen testers. Uh, these guys here that uh, basically went into an Iowa uh, courthouse. Was it? It was a courthouse. I it was think? a courthouse. And they they were, they had been hired uh, as pen testers by the the county government, and um, I guess there were issues of whether or not that included physical security testing, and they were arrested for trespassing. They didn't have a, a great scope of work, it sounded like, but now we're getting some more facts about this case. There were two great things this article did, and one is they gave us a lot more facts about what happened, which is cool, and the other one is they gave us the mugshots, and I got to see that Drax the Destroyer was a... Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> he reminds me of <laughs> he, Batista. He is. He does look like Dave Batista. <laughs> so, so I'm sure he just you know walked up to the door and it fell open. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's easy to assume when pen testers like this get arrested that they didn't have a good scope of work, that they didn't do their paperwork. Uh, they did actually do their paperwork, and uh, Ars Technica posted some 
captures of that. So we can see like the Coal Fire Labs social engineering authorization form that was discussed. The problem is there's actually three different authorization forms that are being used here, and they contradict each other a little bit. So the way the details play out is that when they were caught on the scene, the information was enough to convince the deputies that nothing was wrong. But when the sheriff showed up, he poked some holes in, in what was going on. And like one document said that pen testing had to occur between 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. This was the middle of the night. So it was outside of the testing hours. But another one of the documents says that pen testing could occur during the day or evening. So now there's a little bit of debate, right? What is evening, right? And and if you talk to most pen testers out there, they'll tell you that your authorization form is not the place for ambiguity, mm-hmm. right? And a term like evening, even a term like day, what does day mean? Right? Does it mean the sun is up or does that mean a 24 hour period, period of time? Yeah. Right? You cannot have ambiguous data. So they're certainly guilty of having ambiguous data in their authorization form, uh, but that's not a crime. In fact, uh, US politics encourages that. So um, now it's up to you know how they want to sift that out. But they did go to jail. Uh, they are still looking to press charges, although I'd be surprised if this really goes anywhere. Uh, but they are trying to move it to a, uh, uh, a, I think it's trying to move it to a misdemeanor type thing. Uh, but coal fire labs. They, they also got in trouble for using a physical device to force entry. Yeah. But then, like the way it read, it, it was. I would think force entry is like a crowbar, and I'm going to cause damage. But they were using uh, they like a modified cutting board to slip a lock or something. Right? Yeah. It, this is a tough one. So, as a as a normal person, when you hear <laughs> force a door, I I think like kicking it kicking in. The door, or, yeah. You, Which or, it looks or like that guy a did. shotgun round or something like that. Yeah, he looks like Batista, right? So he could just. Yeah. Uh, you know, punch it, right? <laughs> Does that but, make him rocket? But if maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you go and like pull up a law book and look for the definition of breaking and entering, uh, you know, it's actually pretty loose. Like, if the door is unlocked and you turn the handle and open it, and you're not authorized to be there, you're doing the entering part of breaking and entering. So, um, the way laws read sometimes differs from what actually makes sense in real life land. And that's what lawyers love, and that's why lawyers are employed. What if I say, I thought I heard someone in distress? Mm. So then you would be providing false evidence. Mm. If it's false Florida. Witness. But what if I yeah. did think that, and I opened the door? Is it still breaking and entering? So then you would be ruled mentally incompetent and unable to testify. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. If it's Florida, you just say, I feel I'm in danger, and then you can just start and Then I shot the door. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you say, it's coming right for us first? That, that, <laughs> yeah. coming right for us. You shot that door in the back. <laughs> uh, that's By the way, if you look up the definitions of pyramid scheme and multi-level marketing, they Same. both are pyramids. Okay. Like in the definition, they're like, no, this is a pyramid scheme and it shows <laughs> levels. But in multi level marketing, it uses people to build a pyramid. Versus it, a pyramid scheme that, that uses that's, slabs. That's of also rock. That's also know. what the Egyptians did. Uh, they did. They did. That, 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 yeah. that was a way worse one, I think. Than yeah. That's the, the original pyramid scheme. Yeah. If yeah. you will. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's you, you can get. Several people to build for you. You take one less beating this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Wow. <laughs> wow. Again, God, I just I had to dig myself in these holes with segways. Um, I think you're supposed to be the shining light, right? Make, yeah. make this happy. Yeah. <laughs> Death is coming for all of us. But first, uh, 
have to get to our <laughs> our interview uh, with uh, Tanya Jenka. And uh, Tanya, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Microsoft employee uh, has something new going on. She's a cloud evangelist, a lot going on there. So uh, let's go ahead and take a quick break. But we're going to come back with that interview right after this on TechNado. Will you be in or near Gainesville, Florida anytime soon? Then you should come see IT Pro TV. Make plans to visit the studios. Get a tour. Meet your favorite entertainer. See what goes on behind the scenes every day to bring the best of classroom learning to IT professionals around the world. Simply chat with the member services team on the IT Pro TV website and let us know when you'll be visiting. We'll see you soon. All right, welcome back to Technado, and we are joined by our guest now from from up north, where I'm told it's 18 degrees Celsius, but we haven't figured out what that means yet down here. So uh, we now have Tanya Jenka, who is, well, I should say was a senior cloud advocate over at Microsoft, but now has a brand new position with a brand new company that uh, just came out of stealth mode, as you put it. So can you, uh, well, first of all, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thanks for so, having me. Yeah, we're we're glad to have you. And so, uh, let's talk about this this new company. Uh, so, what is it, and what uh, what made you see the need that hey, I, I want to go out and and leave the the comfortable, sure thing that is Microsoft and do your own thing. Um. So our company is called Security Sidekick, and basically, we're two hackers that. We're doing penetration tests for a long time, and then we switched into application security, which is where you work with developers and help make sure that the software they create is secure. And really big problems that we saw were that we could never get a complete list of all of our software. So things would surprise us all the time, um, and the surprises were always very insecure. And then we also just had a lot of trouble with a lot of the traditional application security tools where if we put them in the pipeline, it broke the pipeline, it made it really slow, software developers were always annoyed with us. Um, so we've made a tool that is outside the pipeline that does this continuous scanning, monitoring, and inventory thing. So it just discovers the things. It tells us, hey, Joe from accounting just got a new SaaS product and didn't tell you. Um, and it just helps us get this better view of everything. And so. Uh, yeah, it, um, Aaron was doing research and development for almost a year and then I came on and then now we are, we just, just came out of stealth mode and are telling people about it and we just got our first customer yesterday and we are wildly excited. I know we, you, you, uh, let us know that a moment ago, right before we started and congratulations, uh, on that first customer. That's a, that's a huge deal for, for any startup. Right. So congrats. <laughs> Is there champagne Thank still? You. Um, well, we, we're actually a remote first company. So Aaron and I, because Canada is very large, uh, we work heard that. about 5,000 kilometers away from each other. What Hold is on, that? Now I got to look that up. I just looked up, uh, by the way, it's 18 like four degrees. Miles. <laughs> four miles. Yeah. Four, it's four, it's four miles. It's you could walk it in like an hour. How many yards is that? Uh, 18 degrees is uh, 64.4 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's that's balmy for Canada yeah. right now, I would think. And 5,000 kilometers, that's like coast to coast, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, well, hold on. I'm yeah, going to get on 3, that. 5,000. No, no, it's like it's it's like 7,000 for all of Canada. Canada's, oh, okay. Canada's like this big, too. so like I'm here. Aaron's like here. He's there. Either is, that, is that Toronto there? Yep. Oh, yeah, see? he's in, yeah. he's he's just in Toronto. We no, only have two Park cities, Park. right? Vancouver and Toronto. <laughs> yeah, those are the ones. You're by Vancouver. Perfect. That, I'm glad. Thank God you're in those two cities. Or Calgary. Calgary is like where you stop for gas. I believe. Um, <laughs> how many kilometers I think you there's get. probably some very angry 
Quebecians, right? Uh, okay, I don't think you can just make up a word like that and, and then expect to not be I feel like more we're way off track yeah, here. I think we By the way, 3,106 <laughs> miles. But uh, so, uh, so first customer, congratulations on that, as Thank we you. discussed. So Thank you. What did you. What did you see, though, that, that other products that attempt to do this weren't doing well enough? There's actually, um, there's no product uh, that we're aware of that does inventory how we're doing it. So right now, there are a bunch of really cool tools on the market that are really awesome. Uh, but most of them, what they do is you tell them your domain names, and then they will go find them on the internet for you, uh, which is great if you know all your domain names. Um, but after doing incident response quite a bit <laughs> and responding to things that were a big surprise, I realized that you don't actually probably know all of your domain names. Um, and then it only sees the outside um, public facing things. So it, it can't see things, for instance, um, if you have to log in to something, it can't see things that are past like a multi-factor authentication challenge, you know, where you have to actually enter in the code into the computer. It's, it can't get past that. And it can only see things that are on the internet but you have a ton of applications and you probably want all of them to be secure, not just the ones that are on the internet because the ones on the internet come in and then talk to all the other ones. And if all of those ones are insecure, you're still having lots of problems. So we work from the inside out. So basically, um, you know, all of you are highly technical and I don't know how technical your audience is, but basically everything within your network goes through something called a DNS and the DNS tells everything where to go. It's like Google Maps. Uh, for computers. And so we are right after that and everything goes through us. We see all of your web apps, we see everything. And then we tell you, hey, did you know that that has this problem and that is brand new? And also, did you know that this just appeared um, because of the placement, because it's inside your network instead of outside your network? We just have a lot better viewpoint because we just weren't satisfied with what we were getting, um, which I guess is where a lot of innovation comes from, where people are just really, really, really frustrated with what they currently have. <laughs> Um, and so then they just, like, damn it, I'm just going to make my own thing. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we range on a scale of, of technical prowess from, uh, from we call it from Peter to Don. Um, <laughs> so I've asked, uh, you've already stepped outside of what, DN what now? He was so, like, all right, so there were three letters in an acronym. Yeah. I got the first. I'm looking it up. But uh, but Don, yeah, let's <laughs> let's dig deeper. So, um, so I, I've had to deal with this quite a bit. And, and in the olden days, uh, it used to be rogue equipment that people would bring on the network, and you could identify it because it would you'd see an extra MAC address or it would grab an IP address, and you, know, you could spot it that way. But the cloud made that a lot harder, and then software as a service made it even harder. Uh, and I can give you an example: is uh, in the in the early days of this company, several of the developers had separate AWS accounts, and when we were trying to unify all that, so we just had everything in one AWS account, it was kind of hard to track down who all had accounts and who had services somewhere. And and I ended up having to cheat the system. And I did like a, an e-discovery on our email server just to look for AWS invoices. I figured anybody who had an account would get an invoice. That was how I discovered it, not the most uh, elegant way to do it. So for you, you know, you mentioned that you're you're basically seeing people using DNS or DNS lookup. So I guess that would be like detecting when somebody goes to the AWS console or does an API call that would turn up? That would definitely turn up, but just you went to this URL address and we can tell it's inside your network because we're directing it and we didn't hop outside the network. And 
then we can see, oh, okay, you know, you went to this address and then it called this API because it had to go from there to there. And oh, here's all of the parameters that you passed. And oh, those parameters look like direct object references. Oh, well, that's where hackers have the most fun. And oh, you're doing this and that looks like it could be potentially server-side request forgery. Okay, let's look over here. Um, so we have it where, Assuming that we're allowed to be placed in the place we would like to be, um, generally, uh, as we're rolling out, the plan is to start small and then work up to it. So first you're just proxying one person's traffic, then eventually you start proxying more people's traffic. I guess it's a reverse proxy, if you think about it, because it's going sure. inside. Um, but the idea is, is that you add, you redirect more and more traffic until eventually you're sure you've scaled, you're sure you have enough power to make sure there's no latency. And then eventually you have the entire network going through it pretty exciting. And we can either replace the DNS or it could be right after the DNS. It depends on, because people have like DNS blocks and all these other things on top of their DNS service. So they might not want that, but some people are like, yeah, well, let's just go for it. Yeah. I guess another advantage of that approach would be since you're kind of tied into the network stack, you don't necessarily care about the application stack. So if somebody's developed in uh, you know, Haskell or C or they're in containers or they're not in containers, none of that would really affect you guys, right? No, it doesn't matter at all. Basically, everything gets like compiled down to the same language. And there's just a lot of JavaScript and HTML. And there's patterns that are a lot more clear. So for instance, if you're doing static code analysis, it really, really matters what language you're writing in. But if you're doing something dynamic, so we are doing dynamic passive analysis. So basically, you're missing these security headers um, or uh, like it. We can see things in your parameters. We can see you are or are not using um, encryption and what level of encryption you're using. There's just a lot of configuration that we can do very, or configuration analysis we can do really basically instantaneously. It's very, very, very fast. So right now you're you're identifying that traffic and then uh, are you using those as cues for human interaction at that point or are you starting to, to work in automated responses? So we don't have automated responses or anything like that yet. We are currently doing um, an early adopter program. We've named it early access so you can get in before everyone else. So basically we're in beta and we're looking for nine more companies because we have one so far um, to go through this six month program with us where basically we find out. So Aaron and I think that we uh, know what customers want but it turns out uh, we're, we're not always right. <laughs> So instead of us deciding what's next, we plan to just let our customers decide. So we're going to see what all of them want and how they use it and what they get the best value from and then extend it from there, if that makes sense. So for instance, do you want to do vulnerability management or do you want to do defense techniques? Do you want to do interactive security testing? There's so many different things and all of us, we both think we know the answers to everything. However, it turns out that, um, you know, it's better to just ask your customers what they actually want and watch them use it. I don't know if you've ever taken one of those product development workshops, but watching how your customers use your app is the absolutely most informative thing ever, ever. They are always doing something different. And they're like, oh, if I could just do this, I'll make that for you. No problem. Oh my gosh, thanks for telling me. And they're like, oh, this is stupid, but no, it's not stupid. Thank you for telling me. Now I can make it. Because if one person is thinking it's probably a lot and a lot of customers would benefit from that. So we're planning to do that. And then after the six months go general availability with the full product. And then 
of course we have this giant roadmap, but um, that's for later podcasts probably. I want to back up to these surprises because you were like, uh, developers were doing the things and then, Hey, look, there's bad surprises. I want to know what is the biggest surprise that, that you were like, wow, we need something that we should have seen this sooner. Um, so, uh, there was an article in the paper about how our data was for sale on the dark web. And <laughs> my, like the big bosses bring me in. And of course I'm reading the article in the elevator on the way up to get yelled at. And I have this um, defense mechanism where I tend to deflect with humor um, <laughs> when people are upset because I don't know how to act if that makes, cause it's tense, right? And so they're like, Tanya, why is there data for sale on the dark web? And then of course, in Tanya fashion, I responded, I don't think the problem really is that our data is for sale on the dark web. I think the real question here is why is it only $50? I mean, we're worth a lot more than that, Sultans. right? This is true. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a valid argument and something that we should definitely look yeah. into. I have the same defense mechanism too. Yeah. I, I'm a riot at funerals. Yeah, <laughs> it is not just, appropriate. I think I that's just like, called vulgar affect. What do you say? Like, I don't know, because you probably should fire me. Like, I, I don't know. But <laughs> it turned out it was actually all data you could get on our website. So none of it was private data. None of it was sensitive whatsoever. It was all data we're giving away. But they had somehow stolen it. And like, you know, here I am, like on this little contract testing things for them. And it was an app I didn't, I wasn't asked to test. It was an app that wasn't in my scope that I was given. And it wasn't an app on the inventory they told me about. And I'm just like, okay, so don't worry. We're gonna fix this. I'm gonna figure out what happened, but like, it just wasn't on the list. And so then of course I get hired somewhere else and, and they're like, what should we do? I'm like, we need to make a complete list. And oh my gosh. So I was trying to manually create my own list. So I'm like, here's what we're going to do. We are going to, okay, so I'm going to use Nmap and I'm just going to scan your entire network and look for open ports, port 80, port 443, and then 8080 just to be sure. And then all of those, I'm going to use this open source tool called Eyewitness. And then I'm going to go around and take like a snapshot of the index.html of every single page and see what I can see. And then I'm going to get a co-op student to do my crappy work and make them visit each page and see that there's actually a page there and we'll go from there. And then, of course, I didn't have permission to scan all the things. There's a million subnets. There's all these firewalls and zones and everything. And then eventually they're like, this project's taking forever. Yeah. And so uh, then, then I was like, okay, I'll do this outside scan and I'll, I'll just take your domain names. But then that app wasn't under that domain name. So I would never have found it. And the more we just kept seeing this problem, the more... I realized that there had to be a way better solution than what we were doing. It just, it just wasn't working and not having a complete list. It, it's just such a disaster. So for instance, um, so I'm doing consulting on the side because a uh, security sidekick is poor right now, which is fine. <laughs> it's totally fine. But so I'm doing like a bit of consulting on the side just so that we can make ends meet. And, um, Right now, people are saying to us, okay, so we're doing, you know, we're, we are converting to DevSecOps. We're so excited. We're creating pipelines. We're super pumped. And so they're like, where do we start? I'm like, okay, you need a list of everything so that you 
know everything is going to go through a pipeline. So if only half of your stuff goes through a pipeline, it doesn't matter if you have 25 tools in these pipelines, if only half of them are going through it. So let's make a list. And again, every single place is like, we just don't know where to start with this list. Like, um, it's, it seems to be a really, really big problem. And so then as we started researching, it turns out there's a lot of really cool companies in the space. There's BitDiscovery, AssetNote, there's like a bunch of companies doing super cool stuff. But it turns out there's a lot and a lot of, um, there's a lot more need than there is supply right now. And so, uh, yeah, we're hoping um, to actually make a difference. We also have, um, can I tell you one more thing? I'm just gonna sure, please. <laughs> just go on and on. Um, so another thing that that kind of um, frustrated me is that, so when I switched from software development into security, uh, it's not like I could just take this course and then know how to be a hacker. There are so many different resources and so many different things and all of them have varying qualities and different costs. Like some of the courses out there are thousands and thousands of dollars. And you know, like one Canadian dollar is worth a millionth of an American dollar. So that made things complex. And so, um, I found it really hard to figure out what the tools were telling me. So, you know, I bought Fortify, which is awesome. And then it gave me 10 million pages of results. And I was like, is this in English or French? Because those are languages I know, and I don't know what any of this means. And so most AppSec companies actually charge you again um, to teach you how to fix the problems that they're solving. And this really um, made me angry. Like I couldn't imagine my mechanic saying, okay, so this is wrong uh, and I'm going to fix it. But then if you want to know how to like drive your car the new way, you have to, it, I just, I was, I felt bad that they're trying to charge me twice. So I'm like, I'll just Google everything. Um, and again, you would search forever for an answer. So what we're doing is, um, so for every single thing that our tool finds wrong, I'm going to make a whole bunch of lessons on how to fix it. And then we're just going to give it away for free to everyone. So if I'm going to do the work to show our customers, okay, so we've found server-side request forgery. So what are the risks? Why is this important? Like, how do you rate this against your business problems? Like, how should you decide if this goes in the backlog or if this is something you have to fix today, right? And then, okay, so second lesson. Okay, so now you found it, you're going to fix it. You know, it's come up in the backlog or you know it's an emergency for you. So how do you fix it, right? And rather than charging customers extra, we're just going to give it away free for everyone in hopes that one, like people notice us and consider us as a company, but we just, I want to be able to surf the internet and be safe. <laughs> I'm, I'm frustrated of like listening to my favorite podcasts and then just hearing breach, 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 breach. <laughs> and then the sad part is so much of that stuff can be avoided. And I, I know you're, you're super active. I, I have a different question, but I, I got distracted. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, you're super active in the OWASP space as well. So you're pretty familiar with the fact that like there's 10 mistakes that everybody makes over and over and over again, which is leading to that breach, 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 right? Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's, there are so, there's so many things. And I feel like if we could just do, um, if we could just get the basics right, we would be so, so, so great. Um, I actually just started writing my first book it's called Alice and Bob Learn Application Security. And it's just going to be the book I wish someone gave me when I was a software developer, like just all the basics, just if you do this stuff, your apps are going to be good. They're not going to be, you know, like if a really, really advanced adversary wants to get in, but it will be like, your apps are good now. They're good. Someone has to be really, really, really persistent and really want to get in in order for it to be past this. Like, I want you to hire a penetration tester and them to have to work their butt off to find anything. 
I don't want it to be like when I was a pen tester and I'd go in and no one's looked at security before me. And then I'd, I'd, I'd go with my tools and I'm like, pew, 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 you know, look around, click, click, add some stuff. And I would just find, you know, pages and pages and pages to write a report. And I'd look really smart, but that's not what I want. I want, I want developers to know how to make, because they want to. They want to make secure apps. They really do. They're builders. They're proud. This is their profession. They want to do a great job. But right now, you know, they graduate from computer science and there's there's nothing on security. Or if there is, they just tell them about network security, um, maybe rollback and identity, like user-based uh, access control. And then that's it. And that's the whole thing. And that is, that's scratching the surface. Uh, so... Yeah, so I'm writing, I'm writing a book. Just I'm just trying to put all of my knowledge into a book that's with stories um, and examples and code snippets and all of that because I just both Aaron and I prioritize just moving our industry forward. So we're just doing all the things we can to try to do that. I think that's awesome, and you know, there's a lot of developers that are, are focused on achieving, like just getting a feature to work, and not so much getting it to work securely. And we are seeing people shift and, and a better focus on that. Um, I, I do want to double back a bit to the deployment yeah. because, you know, you were describing about how uh, what you're doing is looking at people's DNS lookups and from mm -hmm. a from a like on-prem environment or even like a, a virtual machine deployed in the cloud. I, I, I see that that makes sense. You know, either it's just a, a forward lookup mm -hmm. server or whatever that sits in between DNS. But mm -hmm. how how are you handling uh, like, I don't know, uh, I'm thinking like Lambda functions uh, that you, you work serverless. with, Justin. Uh, serverless stuff, right. So you're not necessarily defining an IP address or anything. How, how do you handle those? If the request goes through, so HTTP requests and responses look a certain way. And so what tools like Burp Suite, OWASP, ZAP, um, oh, there's just, there's a huge list. And like our tool, we read the requests and responses. So when Lambda functions are called, they're called over the internet. And if they're operating like over TCP IP, we can see them. Um, I can't get into super secret sauce because um, Aaron will be upset. So <laughs> let's just say that we look at the responses and requests and we can see, okay, so your cookie secure flag is not set or it's not over HTTPS or we see the request, but we didn't see any authentication. Why are you just trusting whoever's calling you? Are you sure that this, you know, whoever's calling the serverless app, like, do they have authorization to call this app? And have we made sure that they are who we think they are already? So um, there's a lot of analysis you can do just looking at requests and response, especially if you look at like a couple responses. So if you look at the first one, the second one, third one. So did we check to see that you are who, like you say you are, and then do we check that you're allowed to call it? And then, okay, so now you've called it, and what does that call look like, right? All right. And um, so basically, if it talks over your network, we can see how it talks, and we're we're just focusing on web right now um, because right. there aren't enough people doing that, in our opinion. And I don't know if you are a gigantic, ridiculous nerd like I am, um, but I really like to read the Verizon breach report each year. So the number one cause of breaches <laughs> last year, year before, year before, year before, every year basically is is insecure apps. And then the second one is always point of sale service, which I feel is completely out, outside sort of um, my capability of influence. Uh, so, you know, people at gas stations or whatever. But then way, 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 way down is like network perimeter, all the other things that are computer science. 
Um, and so, so here's web apps just wildly insecure, causing all the breaches and then everything else just way, way, like a fraction, a small fraction in comparison. And so I feel like it's definitely a place that we as an information security industry need to prioritize. Like we need to just move it way up our list of priorities. I've always wondered, uh, speaking of computer science, learning some of these things, like when you're first mm -hmm. learning to program, let's take string concatenation, right? You're like, oh, this is how you put mm -hmm. two strings together. That's great. But that indirectly leads to injection attacks if you're not handling them correctly. How, how do you propose, like, we address things like that? How could we move that up? Or is that where Alice and Bob in their fairy tale land? I was going to say, you got to buy the book. Uh, <laughs> I got to buy the book. <laughs> Right, because I, I think about that because I've taught people, I'm like, oh, this is how you concatenate. Oh, wait a minute. But if you do this in other contexts, this is bad. Yeah. Like, how do you address so that? So there's a bunch of ways. So one is Alice and Bob, right? So Alice and Bob need to discover and learn how to do input validation. If everyone could do input validation and do patching, Seriously, like the whole world would be a hundred times better. So Alice and Bob are gonna talk a lot about input validation, but another thing you can do is use a modern framework, right? So um, actually, I, I don't know if you were looking at my Twitter over the past 18 hours, but anyway, I've had this ongoing discussion with um, Barry Dorans, who is basically the security guy for .NET, um, and then a couple of my followers, and they're saying, why can you still do SQL injection? Why can't you do this? And I'm like, well, Microsoft's on top of this. They're obsessed with security. You know, look at Barry. He wrote it into the framework. But the problem is, is that a lot of frameworks are open source. So .NET is owned by Microsoft and Microsoft's obsessed with security. So they make sure that it's really hard to make mistakes in .NET. And if anything, the reason why some security things aren't on by default in .NET is because of backwards compatibility people who are afraid of change, people who have so much technical debt, they literally can't sneeze in their office building because everything will shatter, right? Um, and they still have to support all of their customers, not just the new bleeding edge customers who are totally on top of it. But you have all these open source frameworks, especially for JavaScript, and they are just on fire. They're giant dumpster fires of, we don't give a crap, look it, it's cool. Like now we can get the text to do wiggles. Right, and they're not accountable to anyone. They're not accountable to shareholders. They're not accountable to a business unit that has to, like a business unit that created it that has to support it, right? And because of that, if you have an open source project, like I have an open source project and we just don't get back to people sometimes and we just don't necessarily update the things because no one's paying us and we're doing it for free and it's a hobby, right? And so for instance, like Node.js, there is a core team that work on it, all of them volunteer. And it is amazing that they do that and that's awesome, but they're not necessarily all security experts and they're not necessarily considering that their top priority. And that is a big problem. So a lot of people complain, well, that that's owned by a company and so therefore they're trying to make money and it's like, well, making money pays Barry. And then Barry is obsessed with security and makes sure the security happens. So there's pros and cons to both, right? So I, I, I would really like it if there were guardrails so each framework has guardrails, security is on by default, you have to undo it yourself and accept the risk. Um, and then also education. If we have those two, I think we would be in much better place right from the beginning. But uh, what most AppSec teams get paid for, like if you, if you ever watch a talk by Netflix or Airbnb's AppSec teams, they'll talk about guardrails. So not a gate where you can't get done your work, but guardrails to try to keep you in the safe spot 
So making your own frameworks, um, adding your own functions or um, or anything like writing your own libraries so that software developers can stay, like can, can draw in the lines, like color inside the lines, right? I don't know. Like, Should I be offended by that? That seems <laughs> like, I like coloring. No, yeah. I've, I've seen where you no, go but, when you don't have guardrails. This <laughs> is true. This is true. This is true. I mean, to, to, to put a fine, you, you brought up Node.js. Express is used. Uh, you know, it's a server-side web framework for Node. But that mm -hmm. and all of this other tooling for it is maintained by one guy. He's the maintainer for for the body parser, the cookie parser, uh, the sea surf protection, um, the uh, like rate limiter, express itself. And I'm like, oh, he this must be his job. It must be a foundation. Come to find, nope. He just took it over I'll from another it. guy that jetted and was like, it's important. We got to keep it up. And I was like, he is tired. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, and as I have also found with open source projects, um, lots and lots of people want to volunteer, but not all of them are reliable. So it's the same with employees, except you can fire them. <laughs> and there's like a monetary motivator, but a lot of people volunteer to help and then they disappear two or three months later. It's a, it, it's a big problem. And I think that our industry having all of these open source things where we're counting on just one person who's not getting paid, I feel like that's a, a single point of error that's pretty intense. Yeah, especially in such a rapidly moving environment. You know, security, it, like you said, the breaches every single day and new and creative ways to get in there, it's a, a huge obstacle to battle against. I also think it, it's a bit unfair that we expect software developers to be ridiculous experts in security, but also be experts at front end and also be experts at database and also be... I, I've made that everything. argument against DevOps in oh, general. Like, hold on. Yeah. How are we supposed to be full stack then? I don't understand. Am I not supposed to be able to apply for jobs? If I'm not an expert at front end, back end, I don't know, Resell, whatever, right? <laughs> I can play solitaire with my left foot while I'm programming, yeah. then I can't apply for jobs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, what happens is, is you have people saying that they're a security expert, but maybe they're not. Why are you applying I, for jobs? I just <laughs> Peter, it was, what are you talking about? I'm not applying for jobs. Stirring job. the pot. I'm just saying, like, you look at job postings, and they're like, listen, if you don't know at least 16 programming languages, posting? the OWASP top 10, and have, you know, 14 certifications, yeah, as I was, you cannot get this $35,000 a year job. When I was writing my resume the other day, I was running into the same stuff where I was like, how do I put all this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I could color inside the lines. Black is nice. <laughs> Green is also nice. Yeah. Purple is my favorite. Stay in your lane. Yeah. Just write right. 10x developer and then you should just be fine. Uh, you're, you're right. You're right. I, I should get a tattoo on my face. That's always a great <laughs> thing when you're looking for jobs. Yeah. If it says 10x developer, I'm fine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, so uh, so you said you've got you've got one uh, one person that signed up so far, and you've got nine slots left for this early adopter period. So, how do we go about uh, doing that if we've uh, heard this and are, are interested in doing it? Yes, yes. Please go to our security uh, to our website, securitysidekick.dev, because developers, um, and then just sign up. We have a little form. You write us, we'll send you all the information uh, and find out like if you are still interested. Then we set up a call. And then we do a non-disclosure agreement, um, and then and then we roll out. 
um, and we can come on site and roll it out for you or more likely you probably just want us coaching you over the phone and making sure that you're doing it right and checking it with you. Um, yeah, just go to securitysidekick.dev and fill out the little form. You can also follow us on Twitter at secsidekick because security sidekick is just one letter too long for Twitter. Really? And we also have a YouTube channel. So if you just look us up, it's way too long to try to explain what our URL is. Um, and we have a blog on our, our site, again, like securitysidekick.dev slash blog. Um, yeah, and we're just releasing content all the time and we'd love to hear from you. So if people have questions or if they have ideas of content that they'd like us to cover, we're planning to start doing a once a month, ask us anything AppSec. So people for an hour, we're just gonna stream and let people just ask Aaron and I questions and we're just gonna try to help people uh, and that'll help us decide what to do with our product. So we feel it's win-win. Um, yeah, so we're, yeah, we're pretty excited and we'd love to hear from anyone about anything. <laughs> and, and I'm not I'm not sure if this is the right verb, but uh, I understand you're you're twitching now as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have a Twitch account, so we're streaming live from Twitch. And uh, yeah, so I'm so on the internet, I'm Tanya Janka or She Hacks Purple. It's sort of like my online name. Uh, so I stream all the time, just about random things. Like um, I don't know, I I do a lot of things with women of security. Wosec as it's called. Um, and so I was just working with a bunch of women and like coaching them to be better public speakers. So the other day I just did this live stream and just answered questions and tried to help people. Like, how do you answer question period? Like if someone's being aggressive and they're being rude or this or that. So I stream on like lots of topics, not just security. And then, but security sidekick is going to be very professional and uh, just talk about <laughs> application security. <laughs> I will never be a goofball. Yeah, uh -huh, uh -huh. I believe it. Yeah, unless things get awkward, and then that's your defense mechanism, and and there we go again. No, it's true. So, uh, uh, so basically, uh, yeah. So, if you want to come back on, maybe when you're on on the book tour, oh. would oh, yeah. would that would that work? Can we get you back on there oh, then? My, my gosh, yes, that would be amazing. That would be so amazing. Yeah, I'm. I really want to help as many people as possible, and um, yeah, definitely, that would be so great. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us today. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. All right. And thank you, everybody, for watching. But stay tuned. we got a little more Technado coming up right after this. Are you a career changer or a budding tech pro who's looking to start their career in IT? I'm Wes Bryan, and along with my fellow IT Pro TV edutainer, Cherokee Boos, we've just shot a new show just for you. Each week, we'll dive into topics to help you launch your career in tech. Watch how to get started in IT on YouTube now. Just head to youtube.com forward slash IT Pro TV to watch and look for new episodes every Saturday at 9 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. All right, welcome back to TechNado, and thank you so much uh, to Tanya for joining us there. Uh, I know we had a lot of fun and uh, good times. I mean, I spend most of the time just converting uh, imperial things or <laughs> imp metric to imperial. Yeah, yeah, well, metric to imperial or SI, right? Is that the yeah, like wrong thing? to right, whatever you call it. No, <laughs> no, I, I won't give you that one, Peter. I'm pretty sure we're doing it wrong here, mm -hmm. but that's all right. Can you read an an inch ruler? An inch ruler? Yeah, like, I need a 30-seconds of an inch. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I know a bunch of people who can't. Oh, the Canadians. Yeah, because they use centimeters. Crazy. Yeah, millimeters. look at them holding us back. Yeah. Hey, um, 
We had uh, we had a great webinar earlier. Uh, we had one about uh, DAS. Um, <laughs> desktop as a service, man, it was dashy. It was the most southern of dash dashtastic. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, and that one's going to be up in the archive very soon uh, over at itpro.tv/webinars. You want to check that out. But we uh, that's where we put all of the old webinars and all of the new ones upcoming. And the next one we have upcoming is high velocity IT leading your team in a VUCA environment, and that's Thursday, December twelfth, uh, with Joe Peacock and Cherokee Boost. Um, and we were just talking about what what is VUCA, uh, and it was. Do you remember? I just told you guys. You're looking at my screen. The so a was okay. ambiguity. Yeah, volatility, <laughs> exactly. uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Okay. Ding ding ding. Wait, don't wait to look at my screen there. But uh, yeah, if you want to sign up for that one again, it's uh, itpro.tv/webinars. You can see uh, the upcoming ones and also uh, all of the past webinars. Uh, you can watch on demand there, or if you're an itpro TV subscriber, uh, you can check it out in the uh, itpro TV library. If you're not an itpro TV subscriber, head on over to go.itpro.tv/technado. That's where you can get a thirty percent off code for your subscription. Uh, but if you are a part of a, a group and you want to find out about business plans. Uh, we have those as well. Uh, you can request a demo on that site, which again is go.itpro.tv slash technado. All right, gentlemen. Uh, happy uh, happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Okay. Gobble, happy, gobble. Quick, real quick, travels. favorite favorite food, uh, Thanksgiving food? Justin? Um, I'm probably, it's either stuffing or mashed potatoes. Okay, done. I'm going mashed potatoes. I'm surprised you said that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm stuffing 100%. It's like we're meant to be on a podcast. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> Blood brothers. Uh, our, <laughs> we're the three our best. Starch brothers. <laughs> yeah, and we're and since it's a short week uh, here in the States, we're going to have a fun uh, fun podcast next week with a little bit of a twist on the news So uh, because we don't have, you know, a lot of time in the office and we're not going to take time out of our eating uh, or our shopping uh, to uh, to film that. So Or our fist fights that yes, revolve around guy. Either family or shopping. Or the front door of Walmart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we can argue about politics there, too. It's going to be great. Yep. It's going to be just a great weekend. All right. Well, thank you all of, uh, all of you for joining us, uh, and we will see you next time right here on TechNATO. Tech